You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production. Some people come to IHOP and they have incredible experiences and they feel safe and they feel healed and it is everything they wanted and imagined and they can't imagine these traumatic things happening to people because there's such a big disconnect from Department A to Department B. This is Heaven Bent. I'm Tara Jean Stevens. And meanwhile, these other people are having these traumatic experiences with leaders that are taking advantage of their position of power and having really no one above them to keep them accountable. And these people are leaving with severe trauma and baggage and nothing to do with it and no one who's going to listen or handle this appropriately. Episode 6, Gracia. As a young woman, Gracia was involved with the International House of Prayer in Kansas City, Missouri. She was an intern, a student, and eventually, through trials and tribulations, she made it on staff. A few months ago, she started sending me these voice memos about her time there. And on this final episode this season, I'm going to share some of them with you as she tells us her perspective on a period of her life that lasted six years. And during those six years, she made numerous grievances, including a rape claim against a staff member. We're going to hear how Gracia says that and other grievances were handled. And I'm especially curious about how they were handled post-2014, after founding leader Mike Bickle had promised that a grievance policy with whistleblower protection had been put in place. But Gracia's time at IHOP starts before that, in 2013. On the IHOP timeline, this is after the high-profile death of Bethany Deaton, but before the murder charge against Micah Moore was dropped. So I first came to IHOP in 2013 for the Fire in the Night internship, where we would stay up all night in the prayer room for six hours a night, attend brief classes afterwards, have service hours, go to bed at like one, two in the afternoon, get up again the next evening and um, start all over again. That was a six month long internship. And um, we lived in incredibly overcrowded housing. They'd have five girls in one tiny apartment. They do a lot of fasting. You'd have to fast every, if I remember correctly, it was every Tuesday and then one whole week every month. And then there was like a couple week period every year. Anyways, so many girls living in crowded spaces with eating disorders that were being perpetually hidden through fasting. So you have emotions running pretty high with most of the girls there that are hungry and tired and uh, switching their body clocks and trying to hide eating disorders, not knowing that everybody else had them too. While Gracia was still an intern, she started a brief relationship with someone on staff. And interns were not allowed to date, according to policy. You could do a workaround and get into a relationship in between tracks, and then it would be considered a pre-existing relationship for track two. All these people use this workaround, and looking back, it was such a goofy thing to do. Anyways, in track one, I had been, like, completely focused totally like 
I didn't focus on friendships. I didn't focus on dating or boys or anything like that. I was just completely all in. I'd spend so much time in the prayer room, like I wouldn't even realize that it would be hours past my prayer room hours being done. I just totally absorbed in it. I was so wholehearted. And in between the tracks, I got distracted. A boy liked me. I went for it, started dating him. Gracia says she got the approval from IHOP to start dating this guy. She was 18. She thinks he was 23 or 24. But she describes this relationship as brief because she broke it off after about a month and a half. I basically just realized that he wasn't going in the same direction as me. He had a lot of issues, a lot of anger, a lot of huge red flags nowadays is what I would see. Um, So I broke up with him. And after the internship ended, he was still coming around, continuously bothering me when I had asked him to leave me alone. Unwanted stop-ins where I was living, calling me, texting me, basic kind of stalkerish behavior that I had no idea how to shut down. I was not getting any help from leadership on how to dissuade it. And my boundaries were really weak then. I did not understand how to very clearly very forcefully tell someone to get the fuck out. (laughs) So one of those uninvited encounters um, where he came unwanted to my house, he brought groceries and I felt the need to let him come in when he asked because of the fact that he brought food and, you know, poor IHOPer status. He ended up raping me. Um, Afterwards, I I think it was only a few days later, I went to leaders and told them their first words out of their mouth when I told them was, you better not be lying about this. You're going to ruin this poor man's life. So now we're talking about the end of April 2014. And Gracia tells me that her allegation of rape kicked off months and months of meetings with various people in different levels of leadership. I'd get pulled into one meeting, asked to repeat the whole story of everything, how it happened asked a bunch of questions. Are you sure that's how it happened? Are you sure it wasn't this? Just zero validation, zero sympathy. Um, And every meeting, there'd be new people in it. And I would always say, well, I've already told this story. I've already told you what happened. This person was in the other meeting. Can't they tell you what happened? And it was just extremely traumatizing to continuously have to be talking about it. And when I'd ask them, why I had to keep talking about it, they tell me, well, we're trying to decide whether or not you were raped. There was one meeting where they actually pulled me in and like ambushed me by having the rapist in there. It was just this whole mess. Um, at the end, though, they ended up protecting him. Um, he was not fired. He was allowed to stay on if he wanted to. They just wanted him to get like mentorship. Uh, I was rebuked. I was made to apologize to him. It was like this whole thing. They decided I was not mature enough to be on staff, that I needed to do at least a year in the university before I'd be allowed to join staff um, to work on my maturity issues. And this sort of moving on was instigated by way of Gracia actually asking leadership what she had to do to make all the conversations end. I was so exhausted at this point in time from all the meetings and talking about it constantly that I just said, okay, I just, my spirit was broken. I was just completely crushed. I didn't have a childhood with, I guess, strong 
boundaries established, strong self-worth established. I grew up in all the purity culture stuff and did not have a good home life or family support. And so I just really didn't know any better. I was just completely defeated at that point. So I pretty much said whatever they wanted me to say and did what they wanted me to do at that point. She says they asked her to formally retract her accusation and, as she's mentioned, apologize to the man. And in, I guess in my heart, I I don't know if I believed them that I was just crazy and making it up and I wasn't raped or if somewhere inside I really knew that I was but it wasn't for at least a year after that that I really like came to terms with myself that, no, I wasn't crazy. Yes, this happened. Yes, this was valid. Anyways, leaders directly told me not to go to the police. They told me not to tell anyone about it. I was harassed, honestly, by a lot of people on Night Watch just over this man going around telling his story and saying that I was a liar. And so... Basically, no male would come anywhere near me. No one would want to so much as have a conversation in the hallway with me because they were scared I was going to accuse them of rape. And the guy ended up actually leaving staff. He was too pissed off about all of this stuff, even though he was allowed to stay. But the stories kept circulating. So I ended up leaving Night Watch. I went to daytime, joined the university like they told me, submitted to their leadership, that whole thing, because I was still in it. Um since I didn't really have much of a family life at home, this this was my family. This was honestly more loving people and more kindness that I experienced here than I had in my own home and in my own church. And I was drawn to that and I'm a very loyal person. And so I was perfectly willing to sacrifice myself and my own validity and my experiences if it meant keeping this family as I perceived it to be. The night Gracia was sending me most of these voice memos, I was firing back questions to her like, was Mike Bickle ever personally involved in any of these meetings? And Gracia told me that he wasn't, but that she was under the impression that he was aware of the situation and was providing direction on how they should move forward. I don't know if that's true or not, IHOP did not respond to my request for comment regarding the handling of Gracia's alleged rape. But no matter what, I can only imagine that this was just a really rotten experience for everyone involved. No charges were ever laid, and Gracia stayed on at IHOP for years. She went to IHOP U, and she even did Living Waters. Basically pray the gay away, but mixed in with daddy issues too. We first learned about Living Waters back in episode three and then a bit again last episode when former IHoppers Austin Williamson and Micah Pryor told us that it was part of their attempts to deal with unwanted sexual attraction to other men. And again, it's an IHOP-affiliated ministry where IHoppers can seek freedom from things like unwanted sexual attraction, gender identity issues, but also things like masturbation or just general shame and self-hatred. Tracy Bickle is primarily the coordinator for Living Waters at IHOP, and she did not respond to my request for an interview or comment. The person who runs it is Mike Bickle's sister, and 
I swear there could be an entire podcast just on her alone. <laughs> I really do hold the opinion that most people at IHOP are just drinking their own Kool-Aid. They're not intentionally doing harm. They're caught up in the endless loop that is fundamentalism and they're in echo chambers, um, not trying to hurt people, but also being very intentionally oblivious of the harm they're doing and not taking responsibility of that. Tracy, in my mind, is the opposite. The number of lies she's gotten caught up in, the number of manipulative moves she's made, um, just kind of incredible. Anyways, um, Living Waters was a, I believe, six-month program. You pay a whole bunch of money to do it. You go every week. They do prayer and prophecy and teaching and all this stuff, and it's basically praying about the trauma that's happened to you and then owning your responsibility and your actions. And some of it genuinely is helpful and has real therapy tactics in it. Um, it's kind of one of those just enough of it works that they're able to slide a bunch of bullshit down with it. And you'd have these accountability groups you'd have to go to. And it, it was largely a lot of like better confess when you masturbate type things. Today, I can see that Living Waters is still part of the greater IHOP world of ministries. Looks like a 20-week closed group for men and women looking for inner healing. Um, did a lot more damage to a lot of people than good. I think I've mentioned this before, but people have a lot of beef with her. After I graduated from Living Waters, she actually made me one of her leaders. That's when... I really started seeing the cracks in the wall, both with IHOP and with Living Waters, just being told the fake prophecies and some stuff like that just really started making me ask a lot of the questions and any healing that I felt like I got from the process started feeling invalid because I knew how much of this was faked and was not comfortable faking it myself. Gracia finished the Living Waters program eventually graduated from IHOPU, and in January of 2015, was invited on staff. And she worked in the media department with all the prayer rooms, sound, and video techs. The media department is where it all really fell apart for me. Most people that work there are pretty isolated from the rest of base. You're working in a very small room, running cameras, running sound, all that kind of stuff for the web stream. There's few of you there. Um, most People there were very different from other people on base, very disconnected from the prayer room, very disgruntled. I guess it, it attracted mostly the nerdier, gamier type of people. Um, so when I started mixing in with this crowd of people that watched movies and played video games and did all this stuff that you weren't really supposed to do at IHOP, I don't think there was like a strict rule that you couldn't watch movies at IHOP, but they definitely weren't supposed to be secular movies. And gaming was either full-out banned or strongly discouraged. I don't remember which one it was anymore. But started kind of breaking some of those rules, started not going to my prayer room hours, started listening to a lot of their complaints they had about IHOP, and some of those cracks I had seen in the walls in Living Water started becoming bigger and bigger as I heard more people's experiences and the way leadership had mishandled things. Um, I just started, I think using other people's negative experiences there as justification to feel a lot of anger and grief towards my own experience because I wasn't really ready to 
face head on what had happened to me when I was raped, it was easier for me to get disproportionately angry at someone else's experience being scheduled and they weren't supposed to be scheduled or being told something inappropriate by a manager or something like that. It was easier for me to just back them up rather than face the fact that these leaders who were still very prominent people in my life and I felt like I was part of their family had really put me through something extremely traumatizing as to this date I would say that the way that leadership handled what happened to me was far more traumatic than the actual rape itself but I have always been outspoken and I started taking other people's complaints backing that with my own rage of course um, to leadership and confronting them about how they're handling things confronting some of the um, toxic leadership styles there was even a point in time where the media leadership had asked me to go around to everyone in the department and gather what their complaints were about the department and I could do it anonymously no one had to have their name on it it took a lot of convincing to get people to actually tell me what their complaints were so I could format it into a word document and combine like this is how many people complained about this this is how many people complained about that etc etc um sent it to them and leadership was just furious they were so mad no they possibly couldn't complain about this no that's not true no not this and I was like well you guys asked me to do this and they were just so mad about it and they didn't believe it and so they ended up going to every single person in the department and saying did you say this did you say this were you the one who said this and since everyone was told it was anonymous, of course, everyone said, no, no, I didn't say any of this. Oh, no, I'm happy here. And so it all fell back on me. So then they accused me of making up the whole thing, that I was just trying to stir the pot, I was being toxic, et cetera, et cetera. Long story short, they fired me. Um, at that point in time, they they decided they want me out. And despite being one of the strongest cam ops they had by their own proclamation, one of the best workers they'd ever had in the department. They um, found an excuse to let me go. Um, the second there was any possible justification, they just immediately pulled me into a meeting, let me go. And it wasn't enough to just fire me. I got yelled at for, I don't even know how long, probably over an hour, just them berating me about how toxic I was and how much damage I was doing and I was engaged at the time to someone else from the department and they just told me how my marriage was never going to work and I shouldn't have children because I'd be passing this toxicity on to them and just told me about how I have this web of lies. And the weird thing about it is this whole time I was crying upon hearing these things from this department that again, I considered to be like family. And so I kept asking them, well, what did I do? What are you talking about? What did I do? And all they would tell me is, you know what you did. You know what you did. Cut it out. You know what you did. And I had no idea. IHOP let Gracia go in the spring of 2016. She describes this time for her as pretty challenging. And I've heard this from a lot of other former IHoppers as well, just about how difficult transitioning from IHOP back into the real world is, especially when it happens suddenly like it did for Gracia. So to live in IHOP housing, you need to work at IHOP. In order to work at IHOP, you have to have cheap housing. 
the only place you can afford to live on the small stipend IHOP gives you is in IHOP housing. And so you get stuck in this loop where you can't quit your job because you lose your housing, but you can't move somewhere else without getting a better job. And they'd work you. I mean, some departments 40 hours, some departments 60 hours, just insane amounts. It's supposed to be 24 hours in the prayer room, 24 hours of service, but the media department decided somewhere along the lines that they were going to be doing 48 hours of service and 24 of prayer room. Just insane. And then those prayer room hours continuously kept getting cut into working hours because they were so short-staffed. So anyways, you had no time to get a new job. So when I was fired, I had to get out of my housing. I didn't have any money. I didn't have regular sources of food. I mean, you're just left completely in the lurch because you've been stuck in this bubble for so long, which is how so many people will be disgruntled in the media department and not go anywhere because they can't afford to get out of the cycle. So anyways, I was just completely shocked and trying to figure out where I was going to live, trying to figure out what I was going to do for work, processing the loss of family, the loss of community that I had been in for so long. And I was about to get married. So then I was questioning everything with that. I was marrying into a strongly IHOP family that's still there to this day and being painted by these IHOP leaders as toxic and just sneaky and conniving and all these other things um, made me question if I was crazy and if I was actually this toxic, horrible person and just had no idea about it, that I was deceiving myself. And so there was a lot of crippling anxiety that came with that. I just felt like I went completely crazy and had a near mental breakdown for quite a while after that. They supported me through good and bad. Um, There was a lot of mishandling with them, but they also felt like family and they loved very, very well. In a lot of times, um, they were very kind. And so when I look back at them, there's a lot of complicated emotion because I still care about them very, very deeply. But when I left IHOP, um, they completely cut me off. I've reached out many times. I've even handwritten a letter that I've sent to them thanking them for the kind things that they've done, not even confronting them about how messed up some of their ways they handled things were, but just thanking them, and they wouldn't even respond to that. I mean, after a couple months of questioning everything and experiencing this cripple, crippling anxiety, I finally reached out to the head of the media department and said I wanted to have a meeting. And she responded right away and said, I've been waiting for you to reach out. Yes, let's meet. Immediately when I get into the meeting, I mean, I'm coming in like my duke's up. I'm ready to defend myself and say what you did to me wasn't right and, you know, go on and on. And she just immediately said, I'm so sorry. What I did was wrong. And I was like, what? What do you mean what you did was wrong? And she goes, we wanted you out. We wanted an excuse to get you out. I felt so insecure by how many issues you pointed up in the department. And whether those were true or not, I was so angry with you for telling me those. I needed you gone. I couldn't handle having you there anymore. And I took it out on you. And I didn't even mean to fire you. It just kind of happened. And then I shit you not, she said, like a good leader, I needed to stand behind my decision. So I've just been waiting for you to reach out again so I could apologize. I was 
mind blown on multiple fronts that I'm sure you can understand why. But after that, on the outs with pretty much her entire IHOP family, Gracia says she found some space to re-examine her life. By about 2018, Gracia says that she had been intellectually and personally detangled from the International House of Prayer. She also started to question her faith. Still feeling like I was probably just going through a phase and I was going to come back around and I was just having a season of doubt and I was going to come around and I was going to realize they were totally right all along and I was going to repent for my ways and everything. But I just continuously fell more and more into doubt and questions. And the more questions I asked, the less answers I had and just really started processing my pain and trauma and started doing therapy and started taking apart everything that happened, connecting with other people, of course, who went through similar experiences and started thinking, oh my gosh, maybe I wasn't the only one who went through this. Maybe my experience was valid. Maybe this is more messed up than I thought because all this time I thought this was, I mean, like I knew other things that happened to people, but not like to the same level as when suddenly there's a hundred people here saying they had the same experience with the same leader or similar experiences with similar leaders or they got stuck in the bubble too and we started forming terminology for things and sharing experiences and compiling resources. A lot of the people that Gracia's talking about are actually people that we've heard from this season. They're also some of the people who have been sharing their experiences with me privately in the background. Many of them are extremely anxious Why am I crying? (laughs) This has been really stressful. So a lot of them are extremely anxious that Mike Bickle or other IHOP leaders that they were close with and that they cared about and that cared for them, they're worried that they're going to make them mad, sad, or hurt. Not everyone is as bold as Gracia. So there's been lots of meetings with leaders since then, whether I've gone back down to Kansas City for some or other people within the group have had them just trying to bring grievances up and see what the responses to it have been. And largely it's been dismissive. Quite a few have actually owned saying, yeah, yeah, that's true. Yep, that happened. Yep, that's not good. Um, But it's at the end always met with a shrug of like, well, that's what you get when you bring a bunch of young people together. Well, that's what you get in any church. Okay, my name is Nancy Hester, and I live in Kansas City. I told Gracia that it would be great to have someone that could back up her experience. Within a day, I got a phone call from Nancy. She was on staff at IHOP from 2012 to 2019. And for the majority of those years, her and her husband were the main pastors over the entire prayer room. Well, I mean, my, mainly I would say that, um, you know, the biggest problem from, from day one, you know, was when she shared her story. You know, the first thing that should have happened was someone should have called authorities and flat people that actually handle those situations handle it rather than taking the situation into their own hands. Gracia first confided in Nancy about how other IHOP leaders had handled her rape claim in 2016. That's when Nancy was still a lead pastor over the entire prayer room. And it was a time when Gracia was actively telling her story 
to anyone at IHOP who was willing to listen. Years later, Gracia considers Nancy a friend and now one of her biggest supporters. Here's the deal with that. I give Nancy a lot of credibility because of how long she was at IHOP, her age, the fact that her and her husband have been pastors for so many decades, not just at IHOP, but elsewhere, and their close proximity to the leaders even after leaving. Um, Not attempting to discredit any young people that are my age or aren't pastors or anything like that, but I feel like it holds a different weight when it's someone that's like in deep and has spent their entire life building this and similar missions up for them to say these, this kind of weighty thing, you know? I mean, that's the big thing. That's the big thing with all of it. It's like, you know, if we were not a church, how would we have handled this? You know, if we were school, I mean, I was a school teacher, you know, if we were in a public school system and something happened, we had very rigid guidelines of what we were supposed to do. You know, I mean, let's just say someone falls out on the floor and they're in the middle of a, I mean, I mean, they're having some kind of medical issue. Are you just going to look at them? Or are you going to call 911? Of course you're going to call 911. You know, if someone's having a seizure in front of you, you're not just going to just decide, oh, oh okay, well, I'm just going to sit here and watch you. No, nobody makes that decision. <laughs> or no normal person makes that decision. How about that? I don't understand why people think the church needs to be different. It's like, if you have a situation that's above your pay grade, then call the person who can handle that. So, And would you say that the way that IHOP handled Gracia's sexual assault claim, is this a systemic issue or is this just what happened with Gracia and the people that were on leadership on that day that she came forward or during her time there? I think in Gracia's situation, when when she came to me, I was like, okay, you know, we need, leadership needs to know how this was handled. So Nancy moves forward thinking that Gracia's story was an isolated incident to learn from. But then later, she says her husband, as one of the lead prayer room pastors himself, was brought in to deal with a situation surrounding another potentially mishandled rape claim. This may have been as late as 2017 or 2018. So at that point, I realized, you know, oh my gosh, there's two of these. You know, and, and apparently they were handled the same way. So when my husband was brought into the situation, anyway, he was quickly taken out of the situation because his response was, what did the authorities say? And, you know, it, it was communicated to him that, no, 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 we didn't call the authorities. And he push back really hard on that because he was like no you know no we you know we don't have we don't have the authority to try to deal with this within the church no you call authorities if someone has made an accusation of rape at that point we were like oh my gosh there's two of these you know we just never even remotely assumed there were more I told her I said I'm glad you're telling your story because there's no telling how many people are dealing with this that they need to find some kind of closure. So, not even closure. They need to get an apology. You know, they need to get a, I'm so sorry, the way we handled this, it was absolutely wrong. Would you please forgive us? We are repentant. That's, that's my standpoint. You know, that if you call yourself a Christian, then you ought to do what Jesus did. He took 100% of our sin, 100%. He didn't do any of it. 
you know, and it's like, no, you need to stop and say, I'm, I'm, I'm accepting what I did was wrong and I take 100%. In your opinion and Gracia's opinion, an apology has not happened. What's, key, not. What, what's preventing them from apologizing? I have no idea. I have no idea. If you only knew how many times I tried to set up appointments for people to apologize and absolutely refused. So I don't know if lawyers are telling them, don't do this. I, it's an apology. I mean, that's what I'm saying. You and I are on this phone. We do not know each other. We've never, you know, we've never laid eyes on each other. We're not friends. And logically, the conversation comes to how hard is it to say you are so sorry for something that you did that hurt someone, and which is why I'm now involved in this because I'm like, I'm done with this. You know, it's like, all you had to do was say that you were sorry. That's all you had to do. It should not be that hard. Is an apology enough? You know, um, I, I mean, I stick to, you know, the biblical stance that you have to have true repentance. You know, and I think that, that people know when, when you really have repented, because I think when you've repented, you actually, you know, you take responsibility for it and you fix it. So I I just don't think a meaningless apology is what they need. Both Nancy and Gracia felt it was important for all of us to know that Gracia did once receive a meaningful apology from Alan Hood. We first heard about him last episode regarding him leading the meeting that preceded Micah Moore's murder confession. But top line, he was the associate director of IHOP for 20 years, as well as the president of IHOPU for more than a decade. So I told him my story and I kind of expected it to go how it had gone in the other meetings. It almost felt like deja vu, where I was expecting pushback. I was expecting a lot of, are you sure that happened? Are you sure that's how that went? Are you sure it wasn't this? But it was the complete opposite of that. He listened to my entire story, and he started weeping. He showed empathy. He showed remorse. He showed anger. And he told me that he was going to do something about this, that he was going to go to leadership and he was going to make change happen. He was going to provide some clear path forward for women that have gone through this so that they're able to have these situations be properly handled. And in the end, they didn't apply anything that he suggested. And the entire thing just fell to the ground and he left IHOP a couple of months later. And we've never really discussed it since then. I'm still very thankful that he was willing to talk to me and that he was so validating of my experience. But at the same time, that does not replace an actual apology from the leaders that mishandled my situation. He can apologize day and night for how my situation was handled, but that's no different from an apology from any other person hearing my story because he didn't mishandle it. That's not the apology that I need. Again, Alan Hood did not respond to my interview offers or request for comment, but it was actually Nancy that suggested Gracia meet with Alan years later to tell him how her rape claim had been handled. Nancy is still living in Kansas City today and remains deeply connected to people at IHOP, but she's no longer there formally. 
Yes, pretty much we were terminated. I mean, they tell everyone they don't fire anybody. But, you know, you have a job and then all of a sudden someone else has your job. If you walk into that prayer room and you meet the people that are in that prayer room, people that are on those worship teams, the people that are praying the prayers, the people that are, you know, standing up and engaging in those prayer meetings, they are some of the most amazing humans you're ever going to lay eyes on. I mean, they're amazing. They're here, you know, they're sacrificing. They're doing a thousand things. They have no clue any of this has gone on. None. They're, they're completely clueless. And, and even when they hear it, they're probably not going to believe it. You know, I mean, they're just, they're clueless. They have, they have absolutely no idea. And the sacrifices that they're making are amazing. You know, I mean, and the Lord's going to bless everything they're doing there. And I think they're all going to be shocked when this comes out, which is what is so sad about it. But, um, yeah, I mean, in my mind, I think if they set up standards, if they set up some guidelines and got some leadership in there that really did have some pastoral bent, you know, just, just to looking at situations and being, being willing to say, oh, my gosh, we're wrong in this. Okay, let's get expert opinions in the, on this, you know, and let's look at individuals as individuals and let's try to help them all. I think it would be amazing. I think it would be amazing. But as of right now, there's just some dysfunction going on in the leadership, though. which, I mean, I'm glad that that's being brought up. And all of these situations pretty much go back to probably five individuals that have leadership roles. I mean, I just made that number up. It may not be five, but it may be more than five. But, you know, five individuals who have made some horrible decisions that if you ask any of those random people in the prayer room, they would agree, oh, my gosh, those are horrible decisions. And they probably wouldn't have made those decisions. So, you know, we're looking at so many organizations, and it's like, why do you cover stuff? I just don't understand why people just can't just come out with it and say, this is where we are, this is what's happened, um, and we need to repent, you know. I think the biggest thing is it's you need to repent and you need to get out of that leadership position and put someone else there. So I think that's the point that people never want to do. So, which is very sad. What should I know about Mike Bickle? I mean, I love him dearly. I love his teaching. I absolutely adore his wife. You know, and I mean, that's part of the thing. It's like, oh my gosh, you know, I don't want to cause them pain. Um, in any way, shape, or form, because I do love them. But the one thing I realized, which was pretty much why I was terminated, was you cannot question how things are handled, if that makes sense. And I don't see where I don't see where that's biblical. I think that Jesus asked a ton of questions. I think that he answered a ton of questions. We all have to ask questions. You know, in every friendship you have, I'm assuming that you're having dialogues and questions. So, yeah, I just, I don't think you can leave anything if you don't allow people to ask questions. If you don't allow people to, to challenge you and to push back on you and not suffer something for that, if that makes sense. So, you know, I, th- I think if anybody gives you the answer of he's completely innocent and he had no idea any of this was going on, I would really push back on that. I think he knows every single solitary thing that goes on. Um, so I always 
respected Mike fairly well. Even after I left IHOP, I thought that he was well-meaning and just kind of drinking his own Kool-Aid. I'm kind of changing my opinion on that slowly. I still think that he is convincing himself that he is doing it for the good of the gospel and that he is doing it as, like, it's the right move. I don't think that he's actually thinking, I'm hurting people, I'm doing this wrong. I think that he has convinced himself that this is right. There was a period of about a year where I um, worked really closely with Mike Bickle's assistant. So I didn't know Mike like extremely well, but no one really at IHOP did. But I had more regular encounters with him and conversations with him and crossed paths with him in the back more than most people that I knew just because I was helping his assistant so much. So that really led me to. I mean, I had so many positive experiences with him that I um, I defended him for years and years and had positive experiences with him, thought that he was a man of integrity and very humble and really lived out what he believed. And to some degree, I still believe a lot of that, but my thoughts on him have become a little more complicated. You know, some people go on with their life. It doesn't necessarily... I mean, it's like a, a, you know, it's a stumble. They stumble, but then they get back up. But then there's some people that their personalities aren't handling this well. So, yeah, I mean, I think Gracia is very healthy. I think Gracia is, she's one of those people that, you know, she, you know, she's walked through it. She's gotten over it in the sense that, you know, it hasn't paralyzed her, you know, and she's going on with her life. But now she's just like, Okay, I just want to make sure no one else walks through this. So I think that's where all of us are. We just want to say, however things were handled, it wasn't it wasn't right. It can't continue to go on currently, and it needs to change. Nancy, what are your friends and family at IHOP going to think about you making a decision to speak publicly about these matters? They're going to be livid. So... Yeah. Let me let me clarify that. Not my immediate family. So, but yes. But people yeah. people who love and care about you and who you love and care for are going to be upset about this. P. I mean, people that don't know the full story will be upset about this. People that are going to think that. Oh, you know, you're, I mean, you know, I was telling all these girls, I said, you know, I said, the thing that, that, you know, we have heard so often is, oh, well, you're just bitter. Oh, you're just bitter. Oh, you know, and it, it's like, oh, you, you know, you're just angry at, you know, how you were treated or how someone else was treated. And it's like, you know what? It's not bitter to say someone suffered trauma and now in their trauma, they're trying to they're trying to get healing, you know, they're trying to get understanding, they're trying to move on with their life, right? And it's, and it's like, okay, if you had anything to do with that trauma, then how do you fix it? So, and that's where I am. I'm like, how do we fix it? Because, oh God, I mean, I looked someone straight in the eye two days ago, and I'm looking at this person and I said, do you have any knowledge of this? To which they 
just stared back at me and I went, the answer I was hoping for was no. And they said, I can't tell you that. So I thought, oh my God, y'all, you know, this, this is not Sodom and Gomorrah. This is, this is a ministry. So, you know, I've committed to these girls and I'm like, okay, people, we're going to start, we're going to start talking to people. We're going to start pushing on people to tell their story because it's like, I mean, you know, which I told them, I said, you know, I'm 59 years old. You know, we have been in pastoral ministry over 30 years. And I was like, you know, I didn't have eyes to see this stuff because I had absolutely no earthly clue that this was happening. And I said, I would just assume that there's a lot of people in the church that do not know that this is happening. That, we got to fix that. I mean, that needs to change because obviously things are happening and are we blind to it because, um, you know, we're Pollyanna. Yeah, we can't afford to be Pollyanna anymore. What do you hope comes from this season of IHOP? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would hope that from this season, others who are listening, who have been negatively impacted by IHOP, that they would find courage and healing to know that they're not alone in how they feel. I hope that anyone else that has experienced any type of religious trauma can hear these stories and feel validated in the ways that they've experienced abuse and the ways that they've experienced control. I want to encourage everyone to read more books. The rabbis of the Talmud said that today God speaks to us not through a voice from heaven, but through books. Religion without scholarship is dangerous, and people who want an emotive religion divorced from the intellect are also dangerous. We have to defeat them through reading and learning. My ultimate hope is for the stories told on this podcast to be truly heard from the heart, because it's not easy to leave an organization that is so extreme. So I just hope for support behind the people sharing their stories and that more stories will be inspired to be told. And what do I hope comes from this season of Heaven Bent? I hope that maybe, even though no one at IHOP today was willing to speak with me, that maybe someone there is listening. And if that's you, Can you just check on whether or not IHOP has an effective grievance policy, like the one promised in mediation back in 2014? Can you check on how sexual assault claims are handled today? Can you also take to heart what has become my biggest concern after exploring IHOP over the last year? And that's that, at least previously, certain demographics of the IHOP population seem to have an unfair disadvantage in this place. Young women, queer people, people with undiagnosed or unmedicated mental health issues, even people with autism and neurodivergence. Do I think, whoever you are, you should have the right to worship and pray and praise Jesus 24 hours a day if you want to? Yes, I do. But before you go to IHOP, 
or send your children there. Before you sponsor a young person in your church to commit years of their life in the prayer room in Kansas City, Missouri, I just hope everyone involved has a fuller understanding of what can go wrong and the extreme measures that are taken to keep that 24-7 flame alive. I am so grateful to everyone who was a part of this season. Thank you for trusting me with your stories and faith journeys and being willing to share them so publicly, despite the risk of criticism and backlash. Thank you to everyone who shared their experiences with me privately, especially Sierra. You have helped carry the broken heart of so many of these former IHOPers and your friends with you for years. And I truly hope that you have found some healing from this season. You deserve it. I also, once again, want to acknowledge the thousands of people who have had meaningful and extremely positive experiences at IHOP. And if that's you, thanks for taking the time to hear from others with an open heart and an open mind. Thanks to my incredible team at the Frequency Podcast Network. Always a pleasure. My showrunner, Stephanie Phillips. Digital editor, Mary Jubran. Frequency's business and development manager, Diana Kay, and Frequency's executive producer, Jordan Heath Rawlings. I'm Tara Jean, your host, creator, and producer, with sound design assistance from the mighty Ryan Clark and Christy Chan. And finally, thank you to my friends at the Bible Beaters podcast for camaraderie and letting me use portions of their interview with Mike Bickle. To watch their entire conversation, check out the Bible Beaters podcast on YouTube. And... I encourage you all to learn more about the International House of Prayer from their perspective at ihopkc.org.